good morning. I want to take you back to the series and the passage of Scripture that we were in before Easter. The series is called Fear No Evil, and it comes from the 23rd Psalm. And so if you have a Bible near you, uh, turn in it to the 23rd Psalm, arguably one of the most favorite, uh, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. About a month ago, I took a book, pulled a book off of my shelf that I probably had read, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so. And I don't know if you ever do that. I don't know if you ever reread books or not, but sometimes I do that, especially when, I, when there's an author that I really, really like. And this particular author of this particular book, I do really like. His name is Philip Yancey. And one of the things that I like about Yancey is that he's willing to give voice and expression to some of the doubts and the, and the fears and the frustrations that I think many Christ followers have but are afraid to express. For instance, he wrote a book one time called Disappointment with God, wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts, What Good is God, is another book he wrote, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? See, I think, you know, those are some of the questions, I, I don't know about you, but those are some of the questions that I've wrestled with uh, over the course of my Christian experience. And in this particular book that I was reading, there's a, there's a chapter called Faith Under Fire, and he's wrestling in this chapter with the disparity between our expectations of faith and the reality of faith. And he says, he, he says this, he makes this observation, I think it's a very simple yet profound observation. He says, I have to face the honest fact that Christians live in poverty, get sick, lose their hair and teeth, and wear eyeglasses at approximately the same rate as everyone else. Christians die at exactly the same rate, 100%. And I would argue that that's one of the most frustrating things about faith in Christ. When you sign up for, let's say, a gym membership, there are certain benefits that you accrue. You get to use the equipment. Maybe you get access to the, to the uh, training staff. If you buy, say, uh, a Mercedes, there are certain expectations that you have about the driving experience. You expect it to be substantially different than, say, driving a Ford uh, Taurus, and, and by the way, I don't have any extra grind against uh, Ford Tauruses, but I do think that when you buy a Mercedes, you expect the driving experience to be, to be very different. And it seems like when you enter into a relationship with the creator and the sustainer of the universe, at least one of the things, one of the benefits ought to be some guarantees and protections against normal human suffering. And in fact, it's terribly frustrating, disappointing, even, I think, disillusioning when you find out that's not one of the benefits. And this morning, even as I speak, one of the most faith-filled men I know is locked away in the bowels of one of our local hospitals suffering the effects of a stroke, and he's suffering alone because the coronavirus is too contagious to let anyone, even his wife, into the hospital with him. And surely one of the benefits of faith in Christ should at least be protection from suffering a stroke alone. But it's not. And I think the thing that's so uh, frustrating about that is that it means that faith in Christ doesn't give me any more certainty about the future, about the circumstances of my life and the lives of the people I love than anyone else has. And I think that's been actually one of the things that's been the most frightening for many people about this coronavirus pandemic. All of the things that we normally cling to for a sense of control 
and certainty. Things like oh, scientific advancements, technological achievements, a roaring economy, youth, our calendars, uh, our healthy lifestyles, 401ks, even faith for those who, who believe wrongly that faith dispels human suffering. Whatever the illusion of certainty and control that those things have given you in the past have all been shattered by a microscopic virus. And that means that life is far less certain than we thought it was. And that we are all more vulnerable than we perhaps previously allowed ourselves to believe. Psalm 23 speaks into this uncertainty with two seemingly contradictory truths. One is that pain and suffering are a reality. The other, again, that seems contradictory is that you don't have to live life controlled by fear even though pain and suffering are a reality. I want to read the first four verses of the psalm. You'll see those two truths in this in these verses, but we'll read the first four verses uh, this morning, and then we'll stop there. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your your staff, they, they comfort me. And I think you can see there these two truths played out. One that you know, life, even a life of faith, isn't all green pastures and quiet waters. There's some dark, dark valleys in it too. And yet, the psalmist says, even though that's true, we don't have to live lives that are dominated, controlled by fear. Now, here's my outline for where I want to go this morning, and it's a really very simple outline. These four verses tell us something important about us and something important about God, something important about us and also something important about God. And I just want to start with uh, the thing that these verses tell us that's uh, important for us to know about ourselves. And I'll just summarize it with this, that regardless of our illusions of control, we're not We're not in control of our lives. And that comes out of this metaphor that David uses in verse 1 when he says that the Lord is my shepherd. Now, in previous weeks, we've talked about the significance of this word Lord, Yahweh. So I'm not going to go over that again. But but, But the thing that David is trying to get across, we are not in control of our lives, comes out of this metaphor of God as shepherd. It's a very common one in both the Old Testament and the New. But of course, the the flip side of the Lord is my shepherd, the flip side of that metaphor is that we are the sheep, and that's a surprisingly humble metaphor for the writer of this psalm, David, uh, to use. Now, unless you grew up around shepherds and sheep, some of the significance of that metaphor is lost on you, and I don't think it's a surprise to anyone who's listening to this or who's watching this that knows me that I have no personal experience uh, shepherding sheep either, but I've researched, I've researched sheep, and in my research, what I've learned is that sheep require uh, more meticulous care than any other form of livestock because of three distinct traits. The first one is that they're not smart animals. Uh, in fact, they're really pretty dumb. 
You may have seen, you know, various times in your life, you may have been places where you saw, you know, a trained dog or a trained bear or a trained lion, maybe a trained seal, but you've never seen and you will never see a trained sheep because they're not smart enough to train. In 2005, uh, in eastern Turkey, there was this, uh, there were these, like these 1,500 sheep that were gathered together in one spot on the edge of a cliff, and the, you know, the number of shepherds had brought these sheep together, and uh, you know, they'd combined their flocks for a few moments, and they, they went off to eat breakfast, and they weren't watching the sheep. And one of the sheep got a, uh, just an idea uh, that he was going to jump over the cliff. And he did. And apparently the other sheep thought that sheep knew where he was going. And 399 other sheep jumped off that cliff with him before the shepherds even realized what happened. And in total, the estimated loss was about $74,000. And that, that's, a tr- that's, a, that's a true story. I am not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Sheep aren't particularly smart. The second thing is that they're extremely uh, dirty. They're extremely they're filthy animals. They get dirt in their thick, heavy coats, and uh, maggots infest them, and there's not a thing that they can do to clean themselves. Unlike, say, a cat that seems, you know, a cat seems obsessed with cleaning themselves. Well, a, a, a sheep cannot clean themselves. They're also, besides those two things, they're also defenseless. Every other animal in the world has some kind of defense mechanism uh, that they can use uh, to fight off predators. Sheep do not have anything like that. Without a shepherd to protect them, they're vulnerable to wolves, lions. There's even stories of ravens that have plucked out the eyes of sheep while they were, you know, while they were alive. And so you can see why I say that this is a particularly humble metaphor for David, who was a king, no less, one of the most powerful men in the, uh, in the ancient world, very humble metaphor for him to describe himself with. And here's the thing. This metaphor isn't just true of David. It doesn't just apply to David. It applies to us as well. In fact, the Bible uses that metaphor of sheep to describe us over 200 times, in fact. As highly as we like to think of ourselves, from God's perspective, we too instinctively have a tendency to wander off and jump over cliffs. Isaiah 53, for example, that says that we all like sheep have gone astray. And from the pristinely pure perspective of God's holiness, we're dirty, filled with sin, unable to clean ourselves, make ourselves righteous. And as much as we like to cling to the illusion that we're in control, we're actually much more vulnerable than we care to admit, which is why fear and anxiety and worry and depression play such significant roles in our lives. We know down deep inside that we're way more vulnerable than the illusion that we have uh, that we cling to of control. And look, you know, there, there are two possible reactions to that metaphor and what it says about us. One is you can be offended, you can be insulted, you can be, an, you can be angry, and you can continue to live with the illusion that you have more control than you do because of your wealth or, I don't know, your education or your heritage or your beauty, whatever. And if you choose to do that, your, your life will be dominated by uh, the fear of something like the coronavirus coming along and shattering the illusion, whatever it is that you cling to. That's, you know, that's one response that you can have. But before you choose that response, I want you to listen to something. This is a comment made by another pastor and author uh, by the name of Peter Scazzaro, and he says this. He says, he says, there's no greater disaster in life than to be immersed 
in unreality. In fact, the true spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but an absolute commitment to it. So you can be offended, you can be angry, you can, you can ignore what this tells us and the reality of it. That's one option. The other option is to let the sting of that particular metaphor do its merciful work and drive you to the shepherd that these verses uh, tell us about. And I want to move there now. We've talked about you know, something important that these verses tell us about us, but these verses tell us something important about God, and I just want to summarize what it teaches with this, and it's really very simple. These verses teach us that God longs, like it's His passion, to care for us. And that's, that's what good shepherds do. They take the responsibility to care for their sheep. I want to show you five ways that God longs to care for you. Actually, what I'm going to do today is I'm only going to show you three, and I'm going to save two of them for next week because I don't have time to get into all of them. But the first one is this. He longs to care for you. How do you know that? Well, he wants to give you, he longs to give you rest. And you can see that in these verses. David ends verse 1 by saying, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Rest. And listen, if you have small children at home right now during this whole sheltering in place thing that we're doing, I feel sorry for you. You must be, I mean that sincerely, you must be exhausted. And of course, one of the reasons that you're exhausted is that your kids refuse to to rest unless you force them to, right? I mean, they'll, they'll fight rest, they'll fight sleep, won't they? The thing is, though, adults fight rest too. We're exhausted people because we refuse to rest in God's gracious provision for our lives. And I think the key word here, I think the word that we're talking about here is contentment, like contentment. Many years ago, there was a, there was a guy who had, been, who had been an actual shepherd before he became a lay pastor. And so he, he wrote a book about the 23rd Psalm called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And in the book, he tells the story of one particular little ewe lamb in his book, a female sheep. And he described this little ewe lamb as, as, as just, he, he said she was beautiful, like she had a beautiful constitution, beautifully formed body, but she was always discontented. And he called her, he called her a fence crawler because no matter what, pasture he led them to, and and he always led them to to green pastures. No matter what pasture he led them into, he had this this one little sheep who, who she would always move out to the edge and look out to see just beyond the fence at the other pastures. He eventually called her, he he named her Miss Gadabout, because she was always gadding about looking for other pastures. I wonder what what it would feel like for you to just be able to rest contented in the pastures, to rest by the quiet waters that God has provided for you today, knowing that He is good and that He won't keep you from anything. That's the point here, that He won't keep you from anything that would be good for you, that He will always provide for you Green pastures and and quiet waters. What what would it be like to be able to say, if I don't have it today, 
I must not need it today. There's always been, you know, all through history, actually all through recent history in America, there's always been this issue of trying to keep up with uh, the Joneses. But I think social media creates a lot of Miss and Mr. Gadabouts these days because we're always looking at the external portrayals of people's lives on social media and deciding that their pastures are greener and thinking that our lives should look like theirs and if they don't, something is wrong with our lives. And it keeps you awake at night. makes you worry. If you have kids, it makes you think that your kids ought to be doing what someone else's kids are doing, or, or, or those other kids might get ahead of yours, and, and so you exhaust yourself, uh, shuttling your kids from one practice to another, and to their games, and to, to their recitals, because God forbid that your child miss out on something, or not excel at a sport, or, or not get into the college that you want them to get into, or, or whatever. What if you were able to just rest in God's provision today? to conclude that if you don't have something, or if your kids don't have something, it's because God in His inscrutable wisdom doesn't think you need it today, doesn't think your kids need it today. You see, discontentment, this lack of rest, is actually a rejection of the goodness of God. It says, it says God isn't good to me because He's not given something to me, and so I've got to get it for myself regardless of the cost to me, to my family, to my emotional life, to my physical health, uh, to get it. And what if, what if, even today, you were able to rest in that, that as much as you long for freedom from this sheltering in place thing, as much as you long for a vaccine for the coronavirus, long as much as you long for certainty, about the future, what if you were just able to rest in God's goodness and say, my shepherd is good, and if I don't have those things today, I must not need them. And wouldn't that be revolutionary? And you see, that's the thing that the psalm is telling us, that, that the shepherd, Yahweh, cares deeply about us. He longs to care for us. And he wants to give us rest. There's something else here in this passage. Uh, here's a second thing uh, that God longs to, uh, a second thing that God longs to give you, uh, a way that he longs to care for you, and it's that he longs to give you um, leadership. Leadership. I want you to notice who's doing the action in all of these uh, verses. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes me. He guides me. Uh, there are two ways. This is something I learned in my research about sheep and shepherds. There are two ways that shepherds lead their sheep. In some parts of the world, shepherds drive their sheep from behind. In the Middle East, though, shepherds are always out in front of the sheep. And you know, if you think about it, all of the anxiety and fear and worry that you live with is about what's in front of you. It's about the future. If you were to go to the doctor today, have a test done, and, and the doctor would say to you, well, I'll have the results in 10 days, that's, that's what you're focused on, is 10 days from now. 
or, or if you hear that your company is laying off people in the next 30 days, like that's all you're focused on is the future, the next 30 days. And in fact, uh, a lot of you right now are thinking about the future as our governmental authorities are considering opening the country back up. You're anxious, you're worried. What if I, what if I get the coronavirus this summer? What if, what if, say, in July, someone I love gets the virus. You need to understand that God is out in front leading you. He is not behind you. God owns July, and he owns August, and he owns next July and next August. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's got you covered in his omnipotence and his omnipresence and his omniscience. He makes a way where there is no way because he owns the future. And listen, do you realize that that's true, that God has you covered even if you were to get sick? Because there, this is the hard thing, is that there are some things that God wants to do in your heart, not just your physical body, and there are some longings that are deep in your soul that only sickness or some kind of suffering can bring out. I mean, I've, uh, over the years, I've talked to people, I have talked to people who've told me that an experience with cancer was the best thing that ever happened to them, or a heart attack, because in it, something they never would have experienced or understood about God's care for them would have never been understood. And you don't have to fear, because God is way ahead of you. He wants to give you leadership, and, and he has you covered. And listen, you know, that's true even if you were to die. And God's ahead of you there, too. There's a passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul actually says, he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, if, if he dies, he, he closes his eyes here. He wakes up in paradise, so it's a, it's a, it's a promotion. God wants to provide leadership for you, a kind of leadership that you, can, that, you can rest, that you can rest in so that you don't have to feel like everything is up to you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides my path. Leadership, rest and leadership. Here's the third way that I want to talk about today that God wants to care for you. And it's, it's, it's by restoring you, restoration, restoration. This translation in verse 3 when it says, He refreshes my soul, really not a very good translation. It really should read, He restores my soul. Uh, the word restore means, uh, the, the actual Hebrew word means to bring back into original existence uh, or its original form or its original function. A few months ago, Amy and I started watching this show on HGTV a while back, and I'm honestly a little embarrassed to tell you that I watch HGTV, uh, but the show is called, it's called Hometown, and it's about this young couple who live in a small town in Mississippi, and they restore like the old homes in that town back to their original glory after years of being run down and uh, neglected. It's amazing to me how they can see 
in one of these old rundown homes a vision uh, for what it could be. And it's amazing to me how the, uh, how the dude in the show, how the guy in the show can, can build stuff and fix stuff and, and do all of the things that his wife envisions uh, him to do with these houses. And, and I, <laughs> I'll just be very honest, I'm jealous. I am jealous of the dude, no question. The thing is that pain and suffering, like years to a house, can take a toll on our souls. Things people have done to you physically, emotionally, circumstantially. Things you've done to yourself, stupid decisions you've made in the past. Easy to get discouraged and wonder if you have been forever ruined or if you have ruined yourself in your life. I saw a headline in one of the papers I read the other day and uh, said that some percentage of people, I don't remember the percentage because I didn't, I didn't track it, but, but uh, it was a high percentage. Some percentage of people have said that all of the alone time they have had during this sheltering in place has been damaging to their emotional well-being. And, and maybe, maybe you would say that too. Because I think sometimes all of the busyness of our everyday lives distract us from the everyday despair and hopelessness that we actually live with in our souls. It's easy when you have as much time in solitude as many of us have had lately to start reflecting back over all the things that have been done to you, all the things that you have done, all of the regrets you live with, and come to the conclusion that you are forever ruined. But the promise of this particular verse is that God provides forgiveness and peace for those who are His, forgiveness for the things that we've done, and peace that those things that have been done to us could never ruin God's purpose for us, His plan for us, His design for our lives. Like a, like a shepherd that is always using his staff to uh, direct his sheep back into the flock as they, as they wander away. So God is always directing your life back to His original plan, His original design for your life. There are no, there are no plan B Christians. Like, like nobody who's been so ruined that they're off of God's original plan for their lives and now on plan B. You are always on plan A, God's original plan for your life, regardless of what you've done or regardless of what has been done to you. He is the master restoration artist, you see. And this is what the psalmist is getting at when he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. He, he restores my soul. That's how powerful he is. Despite all the things that have been done to you and despite all of the things that you've done to yourself, he's always able to bring you back to his plan for your life. It can never be ruined. You're always on plan A. And there are a couple more things that I want you to see from just these first four verses, but I'm going to save them uh, for next week because, because I'm out of time. But I, I do want to close with this. I said at the beginning of the sermon that this particular passage tells us something important about us, tells us something important about God. I, I also want to, to say this, that these verses teach us something important about Jesus Christ. 
Because if you think about it, each of the three ways that are described here that God longs to care for us, rest, leadership, restoration, they're all seen in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So, for instance, the Bible says that He is our Sabbath rest. We're told that in the Scriptures. Meaning that His death freed us from the pressure of having to justify ourselves. And so we can rest because we're justified by faith in what Christ did for us on the cross. He's also our leader. He took the initiative to go to the cross And long before we were ever born, long before we were conscious of the fact that we were sinners, He was all over our future even then. He found a way to deal with the fatal separation that our sin would create between us and God by eternally purposing to go to the cross. Long before we were ever alive. He was way ahead of our future. He was all over our future even then. So, leader. And then the third thing is that He is our He's our restoration. Do you, under, do you understand that Christ came, I think this is something that many people misunderstand, that Christ came not just to take you to heaven, but to restore the whole earth and everything in it to God's original design. All of the mess that we have made of the world, of the planet, all of that mess, God is so powerful That he's going to bring it all back. He's going to restore it to its original design. We couldn't even mess that up. And that work began at the cross, you see, where Christ bore our shame and secured our forgiveness. The Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so, you see, when, when, when we talk about that, we've really come full circle. There are no promises in this life regarding pain and suffering. There's no guarantees. There's no certainty about that, I mean, other than the fact that there will be pain and suffering. I don't have any control over that. Even Christ endured pain and suffering, but the Here's the thing, the certainty that you so long for, that you seek to establish in your illusion of control, that certainty is actually, that certainty is not found in our control, but it's found in the cross of Jesus Christ, who is our rest, who is our leader, and who is our restoration. That's the guarantee for the future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of all of the chaos and uh, worry and anxiety and fear that we feel, we affirm this morning that you are the good shepherd, that you are our rest, that you are our leader, that you are our restoration. I pray, Lord Jesus, that for those that may be listening to this or watching this that are feeling enormous anxiety right now, perhaps the the thought that you want to give them rest and that you are way ahead of them, you're, you're all over their future, 
I, I pray, Lord, that that might give them a sense of peace and that your spirit would drive that truth home in a way that, in a way that I can't just merely by communicating. Your, your spirit can do that, and I pray that your spirit would. I pray that we would find hope in this passage that even in the midst of uncertainty that there is a certainty, but it's not in us, it's not in the things that we, that we hold on to, that we think give us control, but the, the certainty is in the cross. Lord, would you, would you give us hope about that? That there is a future. That we're not on plan B. That we're always on plan A. And that you, you will restore all of the damage we've done to ourselves. All of the damage that life has done to us. All of the damage that other people have done to us. And you, you will always bring us back to your original design for us. As you will the entire universe. And so, Lord, we thank you for these truths. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. And we pray these things now in your name, Lord Jesus. 